Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Joshua Becker, founder and editor of Becoming Minimalist, a website dedicated to intentional living that was named by Success Magazine as one of the top 10 personal development websites in 2015. Since being introduced to minimalism eight years ago, he's become one of the leading voices of the modern simplicity movement. He's also the Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling author of Simplify, The More of Less, and Clutter-Free with Kids. He's contributed to Time Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Christianity Today. He's also a featured contributor to Forbes Magazine and has appeared on numerous television programs, including the CBS Evening News. Now, let's welcome Joshua to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. So, Joshua, thank you very much for being my co-host for today's show. And uh, <laughs> listeners, I apologize if I sound a little allergenic because I am here in Texas. It's lovely cedar season, so I'm enjoying that. But I feel great. I'm focused, and I'm really looking forward to my show today with Josh. And I was talking a little bit with Josh prior to today's show. We were um, talking a little bit about the fact that you know there's been a lot of efforts over the years that, that basically try to help people clarify and focus. Um, so they live a more intentional life, if you want to use the, that type of terminology. And I think what you guys are going to learn today on the radio show is that having a really, you know, frankly, a really fantastic life oftentimes comes down to your immediate environment. And then the immediate environment affects your thinking and all the rest of it. But, but Josh, I'm really looking forward to what you have to share with these guys. You're obviously probably one of the, I think, the nation's most respected um, voices on kind of helping people get focused. So thanks for being my co-host and thanks for being on the radio. Well, it is my pleasure. Now, if I'm the co-host, does that mean I get to ask questions of you, or am I being interviewed? Because I have a whole bunch I'd like to ask. <laughs> you know what? Those are always the best radio shows, to be honest with you, when we go back and forth. But you know what? I'll tell you that since you brought that up, uh, I appreciate you t- starting out with that, by the way. Sometimes what happens is, and this doesn't happen very often, but we'll have somebody on that we're interviewing, and then like I'll start asking questions, and I'll quickly get the sense that I'm going down a road that they don't have very much depth and breadth on, or they'll say something and they'll not real, they'll either realize it or not realize that I realize it. They're just talking about something they read in some NLP book or something like that. In other words, they're not really being authentic on the radio, and I always call people out for that. But I know for a fact that I'm not going to have that. With you. So, yeah, man, if you want to have a conversation, if you want to have this flow, however you'd like to, that's great. Just whatever benefits our listeners, whatever is going to help the agents, the entrepreneurs on the other end of, uh, you know, these uh, digital wavelengths, I'm all for it. You got it. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So let's start out, first of all, let's talk a little bit about what is minimalism. What is, let's, let's kind of like break this down so they can understand what it is. And then... Everyone, by the way, listening, this, I mean, every single one of you can uh, use this information. So, you know, don't get stuck on the words. Minimalism in real estate, as you know, Josh, means different, you know, some architectural thing. Guys, don't get mm-hmm. stuck on that. Have open minds. Learn. All right, so what is minimalism? 
Yeah, let me refer to minimalism as a lifestyle, which is uh, my specialty, um, specifically speaking. Um, although I certainly am familiar with minimalist art and minimalist music and minimalist architecture, and, and they maybe all have the same underlying theme, right? How do we how do we accomplish what we want to accomplish by using the least amount of resources or material or musical notes, whatever it might be? Um, I was first introduced to the idea of minimalism as a lifestyle about eight and a half years ago. I was living in Vermont. Uh, we had this beautiful Saturday morning where we decided to spring clean the house. Um, I had offered to clean out the garage. I was hoping my five-year-old son would help me, but he was soon in the, in the backyard. Um, as I was cleaning out the garage, I don't know if you ever had one of these projects, but one thing leads to another. Hours later, I'm still pulling stuff out of the garage and sorting it all out. Um, my um, struck up a conversation with my neighbor uh, who was doing all of her yard work at the same time. And uh, she was the first one to ever use the word as just talking about how much time it spent taking care of my stuff. Um, she said, yeah, you know, that's why my daughter is a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. And um, kind of looked at the pile of things piled up in my driveway, all dirty and dusty, um, I'd spent all morning with out of the corner of my eye, I see my five-year-old son swinging alone in the backyard and, and suddenly had this realization that all the stuff that I owned, all the physical possessions I had in my life, not only were they not making me any happier, but even worse, all the stuff I owned was taking me away from the very thing that did bring me happiness and purpose and fulfillment in life. So, um, that was my first introduction to the idea of owning less, um, the, the benefits of it, obviously financial and, um, um, time and, and all those sorts of things. But also, you know, I think important for this conversation, just the idea of focus, um, that as I began removing things, I began removing distractions. I was able to start focusing my attention and energy on the things that mattered most uh, in life and in work. There was a lot of momentum um, seven, eight, nine years ago. Uh, 2007, 2008, around people going through their own sort of versions of voluntary simplicity, though you're talking about something that's more evolved than that concept. But the essence of it being, like you said, have the awareness that the stuff that you have around you really doesn't enhance or improve the quality of your life like you might think it would. Well, so I have an interesting – let's just go a little bit of – I have a feeling you're going to be really uh, – this is going to be probably one of your favorite aspects of minimalism. What Help these guys, listen, listeners, help them understand – sort of the philosophy, and you can take this from a spiritual side, you can take this from however you want to, but the philosophy behind, like, stuff, materialism, rampant materialism, why is it that people are so addicted to, um, you know, stuff? Help us walk through that and understand it. Sure. Well, there, there's two big reasons that I think we, um, we begin to live lives of accumulation, uh, I think probably the one that we see most often is just the the culture that we live in, the uh, the consumer driven society that we're in. Uh, statistically speaking, we see 5,000 advertisements every single day. Um, every single advertisement uh, basically has the same message that we are not as happy as we could be unless until we buy whatever they are selling. Um, and I think because we um, hear those messages so many times from so many places, from people who are so good at it, 
that we that we begin to believe it. And and while we would never, you know, sit across the table from somebody and say that, you know, we we are looking for happiness in the things that we buy. Um, I think we just hear that message so many times. We we begin to subtly believe it. We begin, uh, I don't know, chasing after things that that um, we even know in our in our heart of hearts that that um, probably isn't the the most important things in life. Um, so I think there's that reason. I you know I, I think that there there's another reason. Just kind of internally, you know, I I think that you know people tend to be a little. I don't know, hardwired sometimes towards jealousy or trying to impress people, sometimes, you know, a little bit selfish and greedy. And so I think that those two forces merge. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, I, I, I don't know, I like to say that um, I think society hijacks our passions. Um, you know, no one would ever say that their greatest desire in life is to own a lot of things. But for some reason, that's the life that many of us uh, end up living. You know, it's uh, the, the flip side to that is the extreme side of that is where someone basically thinks having stuff in itself is some sort of sin or some, you know, whatever word you want to use. But the truth is, guys, we're all, you know, basically spiritual beings and physical incarnations, and we do need stuff. We need shoes. We need houses. We need cars. We need stuff. And you know what? If you can afford it, you might as well have nice stuff. But here's the interesting thing. I think all of our listeners have experienced this is that more stuff has a, I don't know what the word would be, Josh, this is your space, not mine, but it has like a, and maybe for example, you guys remember when you bought your first house, how exciting that was, how, that cool, how cool that was, or you bought your first car, or, you know, all those types of things, but when you buy your second and your third and your however many in addition, it doesn't feel the same way to the point where literally it doesn't have any emotional response whatsoever. And so we seem to get addicted to this, like, you know, enthralled by this idea of, you know, I want to have that emotional again. So I'm always looking for the next emotional high. And what I see, and from a business perspective, is that um, people are really driven just by wanting to, you know, have more. Like you said, it's a lot of it's competitive by nature, but they just don't know any better. And so, here, so here's where it gets to. If I'm not always looking for the next whatever, boat, house, car, plane, you know, we have people that have their own jets, all that if I'm not always constantly in an upgrade cycle, then I won't have anything to motivate me. But the irony of it is, is that if you actually were to uh, not necessarily be externally motivated by whatever the next thing is, because in your heart of hearts, you know, once you get it, you're not going to be satisfied with it. You're just going to want the next thing. So if you can kind of slow down and really get in control of that emotion, and uh, then you actually will achieve more and earn more. That's when, you, you know, it's fascinating when I read books, biographies on really successful people. They seem to have gone full circle on these learning curves and, and realized that accumulation of more is just more. It's not necessarily better. Am I, are we on, on the same wavelength? Yeah, I think you're spot on. You know, in, in many ways, the, the, the law of diminishing returns, um, you know, the, the first cookie you eat is pretty good um, by about the second or third or fourth or fifth one. They, they don't taste so good anymore. Um, and so there, there is an idea where we do have needs, right? I mean, we are physical beings and physical bodies. And so there are needs that we have. Um, but what I think happens is we, after we get our needs met, um, suddenly we start thinking that, okay, if, you know, if one house feels good, then maybe two or three or having one television is nice. How about bigger and more and more? Um, and eventually, not only um, are they not returning happiness to us, but I would even go further on and I would say pretty soon we pass a line where they actually become a burden to us. And the, the time and energy that we have to put in, time, money, and energy we have to put into caring for them um, is actually keeping us from 
uh, not just experiencing more happiness in life, but in a business sense, um, keeping us from, uh, I don't know, more important work or uh, even keeping us from our best work. Um, so, you know, finding that line between what are the tools that I need uh, and when have I reached a point where my, my things have just become a burden rather than um, helpful to us. Yeah, I think that's really that's profound. So let's make this practical. So if someone's basically, let's just say we've, you and I have just slightly, ever so slightly opened the door and, and a lot of these guys' minds, and they're starting to think about this, and they're starting to say, okay, well, maybe a little bit of this resonates with me. I'm getting what these guys are saying. So let's make it practical. What can somebody do to sort of start putting themselves through a minimalist process without having it be too painful? Sure. Uh, now, you want to um, talk business or personal? Hey, man, I'll go either way. Really, truthfully, most of these real estate agents, entrepreneurs, they, they're pretty much intertwined. The most successful people don't really have much yeah. of a division between business and personal. It's all kind of synonymous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me – yeah, so let me just step into, you know, the home front, for example. Obviously, there's, I mean, tons of applications for, you know, workspace and desk and office and, and all those sorts of things. But, um, you know, if you want to kind of move beyond that and just talk about home for a moment – um, when, uh, cause it's very interesting. I have this conversation and, um, sometimes I I'm asked, so like how many people disagree with you? And, um, and I'm like, there actually aren't too many people that, that disagree with me. We, um, we, we live in a, a world of pretty unique times concerning the amount of stuff that we own. And I think most people can see how the, the things that they're owning are, are ending up owning them. Um, and, uh, and so I usually say start, like, like start in an easy place. Um, the first thing I ever went through this process with was my car. Um, I was cleaning out my garage, of course, and I, I pulled my car back in, and I looked around in my vehicle, and um, I'm like, there's sunglasses and CDs and maps and, like, ketchup packets and pens, like, all this stuff that, wasn't used and didn't need to be in my car. I just grabbed a bag. Um, I threw everything in a bag that didn't need to be there. I kept like just the owner's manual, and the you know license and registration. And um, it was a simple project. But the very next morning when I, I sat down in my car and it felt so peaceful and calm, it was like I didn't have to worry about the, the book sliding in the back seat. I could just focus on the day. Um, I said, man, I want this to be true in other places of my life. Like I want this to be true in my living room and in my bedroom and my closet, my kitchen, and um, kind of provided the motivation to build up that muscle to begin um, implementing that in other areas of my life. But um, starting simple and easy, I think, is the, you know, the best place for someone to start. One of the exercises we have coaching clients, and I'm Joshua, I'm sure in your in your career you come across this all the time, people trying to like break past the ego gratification of having something and, you know, oh, my gosh, I don't want to sell that or get rid of that or throw that out or donate it. There's some sort of emotional ego attachment to it. And uh, so one of the little exercises, I, don't rem- I didn't think of this. I read this someplace, but I thought this was really profound, is before you purchase anything, anything, doesn't matter what it is, toilet paper, cup of coffee at Starbucks, doesn't matter, ask yourself, are you trying to purchase this, whatever, because you're trying to have an special uh, – are you uh, expecting a specific emotional response? In other words, are you buying this because you truly need it? Are you buying this because somebody convinced you that you need it, that you want it, because they, their messaging, as you said earlier, is going to make you feel a certain way? And if you start going through that process, it, with every single time you whip out your credit card and you start thinking about, 
am I thinking about buying this because at Starbucks, this cup of coffee, because I want to feel the way that you know I'm supposed to feel, being that I'm a Starbucks customer, even though they kind of lost that years ago. They used to have, you know, it's sort of you belong to a special club or, like, you know, you're gonna go buy a Louis Vuitton purse. Well, Louis Vuitton is like their whole thing is women buying purses, and it's supposed to make them feel young and free and Parisian and the whole thing. Are you buying? So are you purchasing that thing because you're trying to get an emotional response? Are you, in other words, being manipulated? And if you you always come to the conclusion that you are, then you need to make the decision whether you actually still want to continue with the process because then you become awake and aware of what you're doing, right? It's not an un, you're not like a dog just basically slobbering when you hear was it Pavlov I think when he hears a bell uh, ringing. So that's a good first place to start. And then what I'm hearing Joshua say is as you because I'm imagining truthfully where my mind went when you were describing that is like. I've had coaching clients, I've had family members that form such emotional attachments to stuff. It could be old newspaper, I mean, borderline hoarder types. And, you know, they, there's a reason why they still have that. And to have that emotional breakup with that whatever, that's very difficult for a lot of people. So when you run into people that want to have this minimalistic lifestyle mindset and they have that emotional ego-based roadblock, how do you help them work around that? Yeah, I think there's a you know a number of different principles that that come into play. I um, I, I usually you know I usually when I talk to people and um, it seems to be you know this idea of owning less. People are, are drawn to it, but they their mind immediately runs to some of those very difficult things that they would ever have to get rid of. Um, and I I always start by saying don't don't start there, right? I mean, we're, um, you don't start with the hardest emotional thing that you would have to, you would have to part with, uh, start with, start with all the clothes in your closet that you don't even like anymore. <laughs> um, uh, most people can grab a couple of boxes and, and just walk around their house and find things that they don't even want in their house anymore. They just haven't taken the time to, to get rid of. Um, so there's a piece of that. Um, there's a piece to, um, I think realizing that, that less is different than none. Um, and so I'm, I'm not advocating or, or even trying to convince people that they don't have to own any of those things that they have emotional attachments to. Um, but maybe in owning fewer of them, um, you actually uh, increase the value of the ones you do hold on to. Um, you know, what makes a, a museum great isn't that every piece of artwork ever created is hanging on the walls, but what makes a museum great is that just the most important pieces um, from an artist's life or a period have been, have been selected. Um, so I think that that's a principle that people can help. Um, there's a, um, a writer named Marie Kondo. Uh, she wrote a book, the life changing magic of tidying up. And, uh, and she speaks a little bit about this and, and her response would be um, to, to physically thank an item um, for the, the role that they played in your life. And she goes like thanking socks and shirts and uh, maybe a little extreme for me, but uh, for some of those items that we do have an emotional attachment to, 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 to taking the time and recognizing that, that this served an important role in your life um, for a period of time, but that doesn't mean that it has to remain in your life for the rest of it, um, especially if you're trying to create something new and different going forward. You kind of triggered a couple of thoughts. I like what you just said. Have a curated life, kind of like that museum, right? I mean, you know, that's kind of what you're describing, is having the most important things out that may have the most meaning. And and maybe then attach, attaching emotion. Like we have this little, you know, little beautiful girl named Zoe, and Zoe just grows through stuff and has a bunch of stuff. And, you know, it's we remember when Zoe was learning how to, you know, put puzzles together. So, you know, we want to keep the <laughs> – for many puzzles 
that she used to play with when she was two kind of thing. But you know what the fact is, is those puzzles would be better off if we donated them to our local church so they could go off to little other little girls and boys that want to learn how to that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So if you can kind of form a new emotional attachment and realizing that that object has a new mission in life and it shouldn't just be collecting dust in your possession, that kind of – I think that is a good way for a lot of people that do have a, a huge uh, uh, emotional attachment to stuff to help them set it free, you know, just – for what it's worth, guys, this is something that all of us go through. It's just natural. Um, do you find this is, this process is easier for men or women, or rather harder for men or women? You know, I find that it's, generally speaking, obviously, um, I find that it's, it's different for men and women. Um, uh, I don't know if it's easier for one or the other. Um, uh, it's funny that I was speaking at one conference where I had a husband come up and, and – um, say, hey, you know what, I'm kind of the minimalist in my family. How can I get my wife on board? Uh, and literally 10 minutes later, the wife came up to me and said, you know what, I'm kind of the minimalist in the family, but I can't get my husband on board. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, awesome. it's always, easy, always easier to see everyone else's clutter than, than it is to see our own, um, particularly in, in the relationships closest to us. And I, I, again, broadly speaking, you know, um, women, you know, the, the things that they tend to hold on to tend to be, Right, like you know, maybe some of the sentimental things, baby clothes or baby toys or you know, fashion in their closet, that type of thing. Guys, I think tend to collect, I don't know, tools. You know, the always wanting the upgrade of the car, whatever. You know, the the boat, those types of things. Um, again, that's pretty general speaking, but it seems to be uh, both men and women are, um, I don't know, just in the world we we're, we're in. You know, are are. Um, kind of sucked into that life um, unintentionally speaking, but I, I think that the, you know, whether the marketers are doing it or whether it's just ingrained inside of us, the things that, that we collect tend to be different between um, men and women sometimes. Well, you know, it is, it, it, we can always blame marketers and advertisers and they obviously know how to manipulate all of us. But the truth is, I think you're right. I think people are, it is, this is kind of interwoven into DNA. You know, maybe it just goes back to the idea of hoarding stuff just in case. And I think back to Julie's uh, grandmother. Her name was Minnie. You want to hear a funny story? So this gal, full, you know, at her high, peak height was a five or no, four foot nine. Okay, when she was born, her real birth name was Minnie. I mean, how did they know? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> anyway, she 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 lived through the depression, and so she kept everything. When we went over there to help her move from, you know, they it, they had she had kept rubber bands, man. She had, and any of you guys who have been through houses or have had relatives that lived through the depression, they don't throw out anything. And you know what? They have a good reason for it because during the depression, you couldn't get that stuff, so you learned to hoard it. So it is kind of, you know, fascinating how I think a lot of us have do have that interwoven into our brains. And, you know, there could be more economic times that come up that will cause scarcity of certain things. And, you know, that's a different conversation. But so let's talk a little bit about, well, like setting up rules, for example, like maybe for clothes and shoes and baby things and all these other things that basically cause a lot of clutter in our lives. Does it make sense for someone to have, like, for example, if you haven't worn it in the past six months, it needs to be donated kind of rule? Or, or what do you suggest? Oh, I think so. Um, I, I, I think that, that, that most people um, would, would benefit from, from cutting down the, the amount of clothing in their closet. I mean, let's just take that one as an example and kind of uh, tease it out a little bit. Um, it's an easy one, you know, right? You, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is an easy one, and we all wear clothes, so it's kind of um, you know, a good place to start. But, I, I mean, I remember when I, like when I first started and, and finally went to the closet and, and opening up my closet and – like just that feeling of 
looking in your closet and it's full, but you don't know what you want to wear out of it. Um, compare that to the reality that, you know, the 80-20 principle that we wear 20% of our clothes 80% of the time. And um, so I went through a process and I, I was probably able to get rid of, you know, 30, 40% of the clothes that were in my closet just because I didn't wear them. Uh, they didn't fit me right. I, I kept thinking I would wear it, but I never did. Um, so, uh, so I made that um, you know, made that decision. And then I, I went through a pr- another process of, of challenging myself even a little bit more. Um, uh, I think I read it first in Oprah magazine, this idea where, uh, and anyone can do it, take all your hangers and hang them backwards. Um, and then whenever you wear an item, return the hanger the right way. And after about three, four, five, six months, you start to realize um, what percentage of your clothes you're actually wearing uh, and what percentage are, are not only just taking up physical space in our closets, but are taking up mental space, right? This idea of decision fatigue, that every morning we have to uh, look through the, the pile of things, but we, we tend to pick just the, the few um, uh, that we use anyway. And, and uh, so that was a process that was pretty helpful for me and I think can be pretty helpful for anybody. Guys, and this is on a macro. Just, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, and then just—I mean—and then just think about how that changes your morning, right? It's—it's it's less time that you have to think, getting ready. Um, you don't have that feeling of opening your closet to a bunch of, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that you never wear. Um, it, it makes the the decision easier. Um, makes getting ready that much slicker in the morning, that much less stress and worry. And and even in just in that small area, you can start to see how. Um, how streamlining that decision uh, and that part of your home um, can benefit your life. There's been a lot of studies that have been done uh, that have shown that basically most of us think the exact same thoughts that we thought yesterday, the day before, the day before, the day before. You know, and, and we usually think them around the same exact time. And I'm not saying at 11.30 you feel like you're hungry for lunch. I'm saying just things that are more ingrained than that. Good feelings, bad feelings. So literally, guys, it's like the movie Groundhog Day. You know, on the inside, we're reliving the exact same experience, more or less, that we had the day before. And look, if you understand and appreciate that, you can use that for your benefit. You can actually get more done in the day. You can be more efficient. You can have a schedule and the rest of it. But what sometimes we do, all of us do this, is a thing will trigger a memory on a subconscious level, and that memory might not be something that's conducive to the person you're trying to become. So if you walk into your house or you walk in, you know, we'll pivot a little bit and talk about offices because that's a really good example of where every agent could uh, use a big box and a you know, so yeah, you walk into your office and you're seeing these awards from 10 years ago. You're seeing these plaques, these pictures, and you know, you see this picture out of the corner of your eye, somebody that passed away, and you see all these. And say, so, guys, what happens is all these things, these things that you don't think you're registering, your subconscious mind is picking up on all of them, and everything you have around you has some energy associated with it. And if you follow Joshua's suggestions and you, uh, you know, go about it the least painful way as possible, but do get there, clean your office, have a, you know, clean the slate. Clean, go just go through everything. You're going to find that you feel at the end of that experience. And Julie and I do that. Uh, what we're describing to you, we do this every six months. Um, you know, we do it in our just everywhere. We just are constantly aware that things have certain like emotional pulls to them, and those might not be the emotional responses that you're wanting to have to accomplish your specific goals. I mean, guys, if you're walking in your closet and you're seeing like a bunch of fat clothes that you don't need to wear anymore because you lost a bunch of weight, but you're holding on to them, you're kind of telling yourself, hey, guess what? I'm going to be fat again, so I might as well save these beauties. You know, so it's, it's all, guys, it's all, so much of this stuff, is, it's obviously about action. It's also about your mindset. And look at the things around you that you're allowing to choose to have an influence 
not and is it the influence you want it to have on that mindset, the very thing you need to prize the most. So, guys, start with your office. Literally purge it. The Real Estate Treasure Map, Joshua, is this book, little book Julie and I put together years ago. And one of the first things in the book is basically like, you know, set your office up so that it's minimalist, as you've described. Um, and, uh, yeah, guys, that is what you have. If you haven't done this, what we're describing so far this year, definitely get on it. If you're listening on your desktop, just fill out that form. You can see the image there, and I'll give you those free books. Real Estate Treasure Map is one of them. Or you guys can also just go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, and we'll give you those books just by requesting a free coaching call. And you're also obviously then going to be able to talk to one of our new member coaches to see if you might be a good fit for one of our programs. So, Joshua, as we round the bend on today's radio show, um, anything else you'd like to say to these guys? Anything that you know from all your public speaking and you've been all over the news, you've been on CBS News, you've been in magazines, you've been in books, you've been everywhere. Um, is there anything else you, that you know that we should say to all of our listeners that you know will have a, the greatest impact in the time we have remaining just from your experience? You know, I usually um, I usually try to make the point that um, I usually tell people that that I, I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm saying anything that that people don't already know to be true. Um, you know, we we already know that that our lives are are more important than the things that we own. Uh, we already know that our our lives are more important to waste just pursuing material possessions. Um, and I, I think that that, I always kind of think that that's something that that's true in our heart, that, that it, it, the idea tends to, to resonate with, with our soul. I think this idea that, um, that owning less can, um, can, can, um, I don't know, free up, free up our most finite resources to, to pursue the things in life that, that bring us real happiness and, and fulfillment. Um, and, uh, whether that's, you know, at, at home, um, so that we can focus more on, uh, on our families, whether we can focus more on, uh, charitable causes, where we can focus more on, on things that we believe in our, our relationships and our communities, um, or whether that's at work, um, and, and just the, the, the clutter that we have around us in our office and, and in our desk that, uh, around our desk that, that's keeping us from, uh, from what serving our serving our people right serving our customers being the being the best agent that that we can be for them um i think that they they go both ways and um it's something that we we all want to be true cuz it um, cuz it's built deep inside of us why wouldn't someone because what you just said is very profound obviously very spiritual if you want to you know for those of you a lot of listeners understand where you're coming from with that but why wouldn't someone you know, you've like I said, you've been in front of thousands of people. Why would people not summarily just accept the message as true when you run across people that don't quite get it? I'm just curious because it seems so intuitive to me what you're saying. When you do run across those doubters, what is it that? Why wouldn't they connect with your message? Well, I think at first there's some misconceptions, um, as as you've been kind of alluded to at at the beginning when you hear the word minimalism, you know, well, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to have a, a house with no decorations and one chair in it? And, um, and, uh, you know, I try to push back, I, you know, I try to push back against that pretty, you know, pretty early on that I'm, I'm not talking about having nothing, um, but I'm talking about uh, aligning our possessions with, with our purpose. Um, and, and when people hear it that way, and when people uh, see it for what it is, um, they, they tend to be a little more drawn to it. Um, I think that there um, can be another misconception, um, particularly with people who are, who are very driven, 
um, whether it be financially or any other way. Um, when, when people are, are driven, you know, if you're motivated by, by making money and you're very good at it, uh, I think that there can be someone who hears me saying that, that that's wrong um, and that's, that's not what I'm saying, but I would push back on and say, what is the goal of the wealth that you are pursuing? Is the goal of your wealth just to, to buy bigger houses and more boats, you know, nicer cars? Or, um, you know, is there a more fulfilling and a more meaningful way to, to use that money um, to be, you know, supporting causes that you believe in financially? Um, ultimately, I think that we find much more fulfillment in that than in, in buying a, another thing anyway. So I think those tend to be some of the um, – pushbacks that people have in their mind, at least, um, at least from that type of group that we're probably um, speaking with today. Yeah, I can see that. I can see a lot of people thinking that you're sending out some sort of like anti-capitalistic message. I can, I can definitely get that vibe from people. That isn't what you're saying at all. Uh, you're just basically, you know, really the truth is, guys, you could be the most driven Donald Trump, you know, focused on billionaires and all the rest of it. Now, I mean, that guy is just phenomenal for the things that he's been able to accomplish in his life. Whether you like him or not, just the guy's a huge achiever. And maybe you don't doesn't resonate with you. Maybe you don't, you know, I'll tell you something funny. So supposedly Donald Trump goes to uh, Newt Gingrich prior to deciding to run for president. And uh, Newt Gingrich, I heard him say this on an interview. And so he goes to Newt and he says, well, so what will it cost me to get to this point in the, uh, you know, the, the primaries? Like how much will it actually cost me to get to the point where you know, maybe I've won these things in terms of millions, assuming I have to write my own checks? And Gingrich said, what about $50 million? And supposedly Donald Trump looked at him and said, nah. in other words, it's about the cost of a good yacht. And he said, but this seems like it will be a lot more fun. <laughs> that was his whole uh, anyway, I thought that was funny. So, yeah, man, I get it. And you know what the fact is, guys, is when you do uh, the stuff around us, sometimes it replaces what our true cause and our true mission and our true purpose is in life. And um, it reminds me, last night, Julie and I were out pushing Zoe on our, you know, for her birthday, we bought her this playset, and she had this little swing, and this little kid's, you know, three years old, so she just loves this thing. And we're out pushing her on this swing, and she's just, you know, just as happy as happy could be. And I said to Julie, I said, Julie, what if this is the thing that we look back upon 50 years from now when we're, you know, hopefully still alive and we're remembering the best, happiest times of our life. What if this is it? This very moment is the strongest memory that we have. And that does bring home what you're saying, I think, is that the essence of what really brings us the most joy in life is very rarely the very things we spend all of our time on this planet trying to uh, achieve, to earn, to buy, to upgrade, to whatever, whatever. So, yeah, I think coming to terms with the rampant materialism and then you know the ego-based sort of society that you know a lot of people you know josh i think you're spearheading something in a lot of ways there's a lot of people that haven't been able to verbalize the emotional buildup of 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 angst they felt about materialism i think and a lot of them are looking for a new path to follow so i think you're frankly i think you're going to have a long very prosperous journey yourself helping other people realize the importance of uh, minimalism and voluntary simplicity and all the rest of it so i thank you very much for that and i do sincerely thank you for uh being my co-host today if listeners want to reach out to you to have you speak at their events or connect with you in any way how can they do that sure um uh, becomingminimalist.com is the kind of the home place for everything I do. Um, there's even a, a speaking tab on there. People can find me. Um, if you want to know more, a little bit more about, um, you know, minimalism specifically, my, my newest book is called The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own. Uh, and that just came out in May and it's a pretty, um, 
uh, in-depth, comprehensive. I don't know if in-depth is the right word, but uh, I, I tend to write words that are pretty easy to read. So I don't know if comprehensive is the right word, but uh, a pretty in-depth um, uh, thoughts on minimalism and, and why people are drawn to it and how to embrace the idea uh, in your own life. Yeah, man, I love it. And Gina actually just sent me a picture of the book. Great title, by the way, and your subtitle is fantastic. What was the title of the book again so they can find it on Amazon? The title is The More of Less, and the subtitle is Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own. I love that, man. Did you think of that? Was that your – or did somebody – I, uh, I somebody... did. We, uh, we, we, went, uh, we went back and forth on the on – the, I think the uh, – the, the title was um, um, uh, an idea from my editor, and then the subtitle was um, from kind of some reoccurring themes in the book. So We're, we're in the midst of writing a uh, book now and supposedly going to be done mid-year, and we're fighting on our subtitle, but yours is killer. Now, you really have set the bar too high for me. Now I'm going to feel stressed about coming up with a good <laughs> subtitle. <but. laughs> hey, listen, I really appreciate Joshua Becker, you being my co-host today. Our listeners, reach out to this guy. A lot of you run big brokerages, offices, business owners, whatever. This is definitely a message that all of you would want to share with your own individual audiences. So reach out to Josh. And uh, yeah, I think this is a path that all of us should be on at, at differing levels. So Josh, thank you very much for being my co-host. Listeners, in the meantime, we'll talk with you on the radio. Remember, guys, we love your suggestions for folks we should have on the radio show. It doesn't have to be an industry person. It doesn't have to be even, you know, maybe it's you. Maybe you think you'd be a great uh, contributor to the radio show. You have a message that would resonate with all of our listeners. That's fantastic. Email me directly, Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. We always respond to our emails. So do not get filtered. They go directly to us. We always get that question, and we respond to everything. So, guys, have a fantastic day. Joshua Becker, thank you for being my co-host. We'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.